beyond the fact that you're supporting a great local arts community, you get to go and experience live interaction and see things you probably wouldn't see if you bought single tickets. The voice you just heard belongs to Brandon Stoffer, explaining the benefits season ticket holders get from exposure to a variety of shows within a theater season. There are many reasons to buy season tickets, but what are the reasons for the shows selected in those seasons? Join Brandon. My name is Brandon Stoffer. I'm the executive director of On Pitch Performing Arts. We are Layton's only live theater. Along with Brian Hahn. I'm Brian Hahn. I'm the producer for Leishman Performance Hall at Centerpoint Legacy Theater. And Jan Williams. Well, my name is Jan Williams. I am the owner, founder of the Hope Box Theater here in Hayesville, Utah. In today's program on how three community theater venues select shows for their theatrical seasons. I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome to Seasons Reasons. This third episode of In the Telling has no sponsor. If you'd like to sponsor an episode of In the Telling, visit lizzylizzyliz.com forward slash sponsorships. That's L-I-Z-Z-Y, L-I-Z-Z-Y, L-I-Z dot com forward slash sponsorships. Be sure to listen through to the end of the podcast to hear the episode extra. A theatrical season can be defined as a grouping of shows that usually aligns with a calendar or academic year. But I like Robin Pogrebin of the New York Times definition better. She describes a theater season as a balancing act of egos, schedules, budgets, and creative visions. Opa, Hopebox, and the Leishman Hall have a lot in common. All three are black box theaters located in Davis County. But each structures its theatrical season a little differently. Again, Brandon Stoffer. We do nine shows in our season here. Three of them are children's shows, and then six of them are main stage shows, or what we call main stage shows. So our children's shows are always the cap of a semester. So those shows land at the end of a semester, so they always happen in January, June, and then July, August. And we are big believers that one of our shows every year should be a what we call a straight play, a dialogue play, because we think that there's some really great plays out there. Unfortunately, our community is not huge on straight plays a lot of the time, so we know that we can't do a full season of straight plays here in Davis County. When you say your community, do you mean your actors or your audiences? Audiences. I think that the audiences are much more enticed to come see a show that is a musical that's going to sing and dance in sparkly costumes. I just think that's who our audience is here in Layton and Davis County. But we do one straight play a year, and they're pretty well attended. And I'm not saying that it will never be that we don't do more, but right now that's where we sit. But what kinds of considerations do these theaters make when picking which three to nine shows to mount? Brian Hahn explains. All kinds of different things. We, we look at, you know, is the show known? Is it uh, going to be the type of show that what kind of audience might we get from that show? Do we expect to maybe get a big turnout? Or if we pick a show that's not very well known, but we really want to do it anyway, we have to try to weigh, you know, what can we do to maybe get more people to come out? So we look at whether the show is, is well known. Hope Box Theater, because of its mission to give hope to families battling cancer, has very specific type of audience member in mind when choosing their shows. Jan Williams explains. We are a community theater, so we have to think about our community. But we also have to think about our wall of recipient, because what we're trying to do is we really do want to create them. We want them to leave feeling good. 
Um, there are certain shows that are kind of downers. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Not every show is, you know, doing this great ending number that's like, ha-ha, you know, and going off with a bang. Um, so we really do have to think about those things. Not all theater is meant to make you feel good at the end. I was curious what types of discomfort these theaters are comfortable with creating in their audiences. We have to take into account uh, things like the potential audience. Uh, will they like it? Will they be offended by it? If it might offend some, will it offend few enough so that we can still proceed? Shows like Streetcar Named Desire that have some language and, and cigarette smoking and drinking and stuff like that, we have to consider those things. Will that offend people? And some people are going to get offended by that smallest little thing. You can't really cater totally to them. We don't get very many complaints, but when you do, you do expect it. Um, that's just because you can't please everyone. That's that's reality reality of it. Um, you could do the cleanest, um, sparkly, shiniest show that you, you could possibly think of, and you might have someone in your audience that might just think, you know, oh my gosh, I just didn't like that shoulder scene. That's what happens. But more often than not, the positive always outweigh the negative. And I think if you always just think of the family that comes on a closing night, I don't think you're going to have a problem. But how easy is it to infer what enough of your audience will accept and what is too much for them to not be offended? We did a little bit, I guess, if you want to say, I don't know if you call it edgy, but wedding singer. I was, you know, it was a little bit more one of those ones that I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Is it going to, is it going to be okay in our theater? And the audience loved it. So then we did one that um, we thought that would do really, really well. Um, because it was a classic, and it did okay. So it really is interesting. And then we also think about its placement in this in the time of year. If we want to do a, a certain type of show that we don't expect to have everybody just pouring out for it, we have to put it in a time of the year that uh, we tend to have more people showing up. Some shows just seem like they'll sell a lot of tickets. Others... There are shows that um, might not be as, as popular, but if we feel like it has something good to say, then we'll, we'll try doing it. We also have what we call a concert selection, and it's one of those shows that is a little far-reaching for our community, our audience. It's the Sweeney Todd's and Rents and Assassins and Chicago that sometimes our culture doesn't support as well, but there's still an audience of people that want to see it. So we do those in what we call a concert selection. And it's a show that has a little bit less producing, a little less set and costumes, but the same music and the same score and the same script. And then the audiences can see those shows. They don't get to see a lot of here in Utah. So some level of exposure to different things, but not too far. But we also want to be respectful for our family that comes on our closing night. We do want them to leave feeling good. That's, I think that's probably our main factor is thinking of shows that will resonate with our local recipient. Picking shows that make you feel good, that challenge your perspective. That's the fun part, right? What about that part about schedules and calendaring, though? We used to have our first show in the summer be right around the very first part of June. We found out it's a bad time to, to have some shows because it starts right when school is getting out. A lot of people pack their bags and head out on vacation. A few years ago when we did Harvey, it opened the same weekend as school closed for the summer. And we had the first week and a half, we were lucky if we got 20 people to come out. Mm. And and it picked up right at the end, but it, it, it made for pretty low attendance. And so... We've had to adjust now and try to stay away from some of those times. The beginning of summer isn't the only tricky time of year. 
I think uh, holidays and our like our holiday season show and our first show in January, you know, there's definitely those are shows that we have to think about because actors, it's a hard time. Holidays are hard regardless. So we have to think, okay, what's going to pull people out from their holidays to do this show? You know, what, what's going to be um, White Christmas? It's a, it's a pretty big cast. So we were like, but there's a lot of actors that would love to be in White Christmas. So that was a, a nice pull for White Christmas. Annie was another one. Okay, Annie is still a whole lot of kids. Kids bring grandparents. Ah, yes, the yearly Christmas show. There's five or so titles you can expect to find playing in multiple locations within an hour's drive of Salt Lake City every holiday season. But On Pitch Performing Arts has gone with a different holiday tradition. One of my very first jobs out of college was working for the Palm Springs Follies. And uh, it was this really wonderful theater down in Palm Springs. And they've been, at that time, they'd been there for 13 seasons. And they do these huge ornate costumes, much like Zigfield Follies back in the day, and, and dance numbers. And they have a host. It's sort of like a, a comedian. And they bring in special guests. And I've always, my whole life since I left there, I've always wanted that to be my tradition for the for the holidays. So we do what we call the holiday follies, and we have huge costumes that are nine, ten feet tall. I mean, just huge, ornate, glitzy, Vegas kind of costumes. And then we bring community guests, like the school choirs, and we have different community theaters that come and perform numbers. And we have a host, and it's just all about trying to bring together a community for a really fun holiday celebration. So that's our annual holiday tradition. We are already working on the costumes for this year. It takes all year because these costumes are huge and feathers and boas and giant headdresses. So it's one of the things we work on all year. And our costume designer, she's amazing at it. She is one of the best fantasy costume designers I've ever seen in my life. Performing over the holiday season isn't the only consideration a theater has to make. If they start their season in January... There's the concern of rehearsing over the holiday season, too. Uh, and so in our January, it's really interesting, too, because usually people start to take a little breather. And so it has to be a show that's going to uh, get the actors out. And so that's why we did Mamma Mia. Um, it was a brand new show that was just released, and we were one of the first, we were the first theater to actually perform Mamma Mia. So it was, we, we, knew that, we knew that we wanted to get on that one quick and have it at the very beginning of our season and not wait till. Um, summer or fall to do it. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of like a rhyme and reason of why we do that. Um, those, those two slots are kind of interesting slots. Summer is, again, it's one that we think about. We think about, okay, we need a big show. We need it where they can bring their family and maybe have multiple family members in that show. The summer vacation is a tradition for many in Utah, but in Davis County, so is the family performing in the summer musical pack the kids off to rehearsal instead of the beach. The Leishman Hall is one of two stages at Centerpoint Legacy Theater, so Brian Hahn isn't just considering the ages and genders of his shows in isolation. One of the other factors we have to take into account when we're figuring out a season is how many men, women, or children are going to be in that show. For example, when we did 1776, at the same time we were also doing um, Still Magnolias. 1776, all men. Still Magnolias, all women. <laughs> And, and so it, it, it kind of balanced that out. And so we have to kind of think about what's happening across the hall on the main stage compared to what's going in black box. Um, and it, it tends to work out really well that we've had sometimes when we've had a real serious drama going on in the, in, in the black box space and across the hall, they're doing a musical comedy. So it, it's, it's kind of nice to give the audience a, a different choice. 
But it isn't just the people coming to see the show and whether or not they'll like it, or the people coming to perform in the show and whether they'll turn out to audition at that time of year, that these theaters have to consider. Hope Box and Opa both have very unique stages. There is something about our stage. It's not a full theater in the round. We, we call it half and half. We have limited space and we have limited backstage space. So when we think about putting on a large show, for instance, I have directed pretty much all the large shows. I've directed Beauty and the Beast. I've done Peter Pan. I have done Little Mermaid. I mean, if you're talking about big shows, big sets, big costumes, that's what I've directed. You have to just think outside the box. Be creative. We did Aladdin and everybody was like, how are they going to make a magic carpet? Like, what's that? How's that? And we ended up using this really cool star projector that like moved and the the actors stood still and the stars were moving and people were walking out going, I thought they were really flying. Like it was, you know, so it's just, it's for me, I think it's like almost like a challenge to do creative big things like that make a mermaid swim or fly Mary Poppins or one of the, whatever those are. I just think that I look at it and go, yeah, we'll do that. Why not? Let's figure it out. Up for the challenge. Great. So sit down and think about your audiences, your actors, and boom, five minutes later, you've got the season figured out, right? Just when we think that we have our season put together, we'll go, wait a minute. We have three shows that are very, very similar. We might need to rethink that. We usually try to pick a, at least one drama a year, and, um, and then the others are comedies. Uh, the last two years, we've actually thrown in some of the smaller musicals. We were Good Man Charlie Brown last year, and it was a huge success, and, and then we did five carols at Christmas and our next show in that space is nonsense. So it's fun to throw in the little musicals. They cost more. <laughs> you have to have a bigger production team, but um, the audiences love them. Right. Balance. Comedy and drama. Plus you got to do musicals. So you also got to do straight plays too, right? Actually, this year we're adding one play. We're going to give that a try. We didn't want to do that until we thought that we had the audience um, members, you know, as uh, following, and we are adding a play in June because we had a slot that we were, we have open, and um, so we're going to add See How They Run this year, and we're going to see how that goes. Literally going to see how that so runs. We're really going to see how that runs and see, and see if it sticks, and if it sticks, then we're going to continue doing it. So there's a lot to consider. Hopebox organizes it all under the guiding principle of its vision, how to give hope to families battling cancer. What's OPA's guiding vision? I think one of the things we focus on here at OPA more than I have in earlier parts of my career is what's going to be best for our community and what's going to give back the most. We started OPA with the belief that by creating the arts and giving people a place for the arts here in Layton, it's going to better our community. So whenever we're choosing seasons or looking at shows, we're looking at what is going to help our community be better acquainted with the arts, become better artists become better audience members, all of those things. And that way, it in, in turn, is going to help our community become a better place. Community, giving back, hope, and a consideration of stakeholders and balance. Got it. But once you've spent all that time being thoughtful, then you can just announce the shows you've picked on social media, right? It's pretty shocking, really. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know much about theater, we are finalizing our 2020 season, which goes all the way through January 2021 on Monday, and I have already started our 2021 season research, because you have to, in order to announce a full season, you have to get 
the rights for the show. So in order to get the rights, you have to apply for them and blah, blah, blah. So there's quite a process to that. But what normally happens is I will put together a list of shows that sort of fit together. And we have what we call a smaller musical section. So like usually like our January, February slot is, it's a little bit of a smaller musical that's a little easier to produce because it's gonna rehearse over the holidays and there's gonna be lots of logistical problems. So we try really hard to put something small in that area and then and then we have the straight play and then we have the big summer musical and then we do another medium musical in October and then we have the holiday follies and then the kids shows. So what we try to do is sort of pull together a list of shows that would work in sort of all of those slots and plug them in and look at what we've done in the past and try to look at what other people are doing because I don't look at other theaters as competition. I, I think other theaters are great. I don't I don't ever look at them as like, oh, we got to do something better than that theater or that theater. What I look at them for is I don't want to do whatever show at the same time that the theater, you know, 20 miles away is doing, because that's hard when you're trying to cast a show with the same people and blah, blah, blah. So that's one of the things we always look at. So I've started looking at our 2021 season and we're still almost two years away from it. So in order to to get it done and through the board takes months and months and months. So I put together all of this stuff and I find all the shows and I do a budget for them and sort of a synopsis of the shows. And then I take them to our board. Because we're a nonprofit, we're run by a board. So they have the final say in everything. And they will go through the shows and talk about them and debate and blah, blah, blah. And then they will give me a final list of shows that they want me to go back and do a final budget on and put them together in a season, and then the next board meeting, they do a final vote on those. So that's done. Then we start picking staff for the shows. But the minute the 2020 season is officially decided, we start thinking about the 2021 season. It's a very lengthy process. And it makes sense you wouldn't want to do the same show at the same time as another theater within an easy drive down the freeway, or even an easy walk across the lobby. The season is is usually chosen between um, me as the producer and and Jansen Davis as the executive director of the theater. We'll get together and discuss what kind of, what we want to have as a season, the shows that we're gonna do. And then we have to balance that out as to what's gonna happen on the main stage, what might be happening in, around Wasatch Front area. We take that into account when we try to figure out our season. And we'll come up with five or six shows that we think would work. Then Jansen will take those to the theater's board of directors and just make sure they're okay with it. And then we'll take that five or six shows after they've cleared them and then decide on the three or four that we're going to do and then check with the licensing company and make sure they're available. And if one of them's not, then we go to a, one of our other choices. On your short list. Yeah. And and some of the theaters announce their, their season earlier than us, or we might get wind that, you know, the Grand might be doing something or something might be happening at, at Hell Center Theater in their black box or something like that. If, if we find out about any of those things, that might help us determine what we're going to do the next season. We haven't had to do that very often because we tend to do shows that others just don't. I've always, I've been surprised over the years that the shows that are, that if you ask somebody if they know anything about it, they tell you no, that those tend to be shows that we get good turnout, like Don't Drink the Water and Inspector Calls when we did that a few years ago. We had really good attendance of that, and most people didn't have a clue what it was about, and but they still came to see it. And they, and they really enjoyed it. But shows like Harvey that a lot of people have, have known about because it was a, a movie with Jimmy Stewart and, and it had been around for so long, really poor attendance. And Bus Stop was another one, really poorly attended. But a lot of people had heard of it and seen the movie 
with Marilyn Monroe, even though it's not much like the play. And, you know, so they had opinions of it and they knew about it, but yet they didn't turn out to, to see the play. You never quite know how it's going to work out. That was a common thread in my conversations as much as any other. That for all the analysis, discussion, and common wisdom, ultimately these theaters can still be surprised by their audience's responses to the shows within their theatrical seasons. But let's go back to what Brian said about the sequence. His season gets approved from the board for a short list of shows before seeking licensing for the season. OPA seeks licensing even before board approval. So I have already applied for the rights for all of our shows that are up for consideration for 2020, because in order to know what the budget will be, you have to apply for the rights. And when you apply through the rights company, you have a certain amount of time that you can sign it and send in your check for the royalties. And so as long as we decide during that time, I don't have to reapply. But it's a process that can be a little touchy because if a professional theater company here in Utah or nearby is doing a show you want to do or decide they want to do a show you're doing while you haven't signed your contract, you will lose the contract they've sent you. So you have to really like tread lightly and like time is of the essence. The minute you start getting down to that final time and the boards voted and we've all sort of like started putting together the season, it's sort of time of the, of the essence because if we sign it and send it in, they go, oh, sorry professional theater ABC just got those, you got to start over and then the board's going to meet and you got to pick a new show. And blah, 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 blah. so it's a, it's a little bit of a time bomb. Like you're always like, Oh, let's do it now. Hurry, hurry. And so as soon as the board finalizes it on Monday, we send in checks and deposits and get them under our belts. But licensing the shows aren't the only contracts these theaters are trying to line up. They also need the production teams, the directors, choreographers, music directors, stage managers, and on and on. All three of these black boxes start with hiring the directors. So for directors, um, our new process is that they apply on our website. There's an application process, and they have to apply every year. And the reason for that is because, like I said, we like to have new blood. If we have a great director that we want back, of course we'll you know, want them back for a certain show. But we try, we'd like to try to have at least one person new. And that's just see what they can do, see what new things they come up with. So there's an application process um, we look through, and we do like to see some of their works. Um, so if they're doing something, we'd like to go and actually, you know, see it. Recommendations, definitely we listen to people that, you know, worked with them or have in the past. A lot of times the directors will actually bring a team with them, which is fantastic because, again, new life, new vision, and that's great. If they don't have a team, then we have a group of people that are, are interested that we keep on a list that um, will feed to them and say, you know, if you need a choreographer or a music director, here's a list of you know people that we have done work here that we would recommend, and they can still reach out to them. But we don't we don't dictate their team though, unless they are in need of a team. Why a discussion of directors in an episode on reasons behind a theatrical season? Here's Brandon Stoffer's take on directors and announcements. I think it's important to, to have a director attached to a project uh, when you announce it as, as much as you can, because I think that a lot of actors in our area want to know who's directing because everybody's style is different and everybody does things different in the world and in the theater world. So I think it's important when you announce your season so that the actors who are sort of planning their year ahead, they can see, oh yeah, I want to work with that director or, oh, I didn't really have a great time with that director. He is not my style. She's not my style. So I'm not going to do that show, you know? So I think we try really hard to make sure the directors are in place. Sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes 
life changes and you lose a director and you have to find a new one or whatever. But but we do our best to have the staff in place when we announce the season. What about the director's team? As Jan Williams explains, sometimes a director brings a team and sometimes those team members are new. We would look at their credentials a little bit and see, you know, we do go by recommendation and we have to trust our directors because um, because ultimately if we don't trust our directors, then, then that's not going to work. It's not going to work. We want them to know that we do trust in, in them and so that they can take the bowl by the horns and go. We don't want to micromanage them. You know, when it comes down to anything that has, anything that would hurt our theater in any way, then we'd step in. But so far, things have worked out just fine. So we're, we feel good about that. OPA also has an online process for hiring production team members. The directors, designers, stage managers, there's actually a form on our web, on our website on pitchperformingarts.com where you can go and hit the get involved and say, I'm interested in being a director, I'm interested in being a designer, whatever, because we're always looking for staff all the time. So even if we've already decided our directors for the next year, we're always looking for people who are interested in the next year. Or if somebody life changes and we need to fill in a director, we're always looking. So we're, we always ask people to just go to the website, fill out that form, and then it gets put into our files. And we just start, when it's time, we pull them out and start calling people and saying, you know, here's the shows we have open. Is this time slot? Something like that. Uh, we do a more general call for directors. Like right now uh, on our social media and our email pushes, we're asking for directors right now just because it's the thing we're most focused on in this moment. So sometimes there's a general push for things like that, but in most of the time, just go to the website and fill it out. We are always looking for new designers. And, and if you don't have experience, that's okay. It's not about being the most well-known director to us. It's about what are you going to bring to the table that's going to make a difference for the actors involved and the audience who get to see it. And that may mean you've never directed before, and that's totally fine with us. We don't. That doesn't bother us at all. Brian Hahn has a different process for hiring directors, and it occurs after the season has been announced. What we do, as far as the director goes, we those people that we've learned of that have an interest in directing in the space, um, I usually keep a list of those people, and then I will send an email to them saying we're, we're taking proposals now and give them a deadline of when they have to submit the proposal. And then they can put in a proposal for any of the shows that we're doing for the season or all of them. And then we compile those up. I review through them all and, and kind of come up with a short list of the people that we want for the various shows. And then I meet with the executive producer, Scott Van Dyke, and the executive director, Jansen Davis. And then we just sit down and work out why we want, might want to use one person over another. With having online applications for directors, Jan and Brandon are looking at prospective directors all year round. But directors are generally hired earlier in the year from the pool that has already accrued. Yes, I would say there would be a window for the beginning of the year. We don't announce until, you know, like right now it's March, so we probably won't be announced until close to April. But we have already started talking December-ish. We've already started talking about, you know... Um, so I would say if you're interested in the 2020, then you should be if not already had your application in, or you should be getting your in really quick. <laughs> because for <laughs> our podcast right. is right. <laughs> um, the sooner the sooner the better, um, because we do look at those again. And that also helps us with uh, with our shows and what we do. Um, a director might say, you know, I really am interested in directing this, and so we might look at that show. So usually, you know, I would say six months before 
the next the next year, you know, start putting out you know your feelers or get your application in and say you know I'm really interested in for next year. And we also know that we have to be on top of things or else we'll miss directors because they have other theaters that are trying to get them as well. So we have to kind of be looking and saying okay, you know, we're re- we're ready. We're we're wanting to know if you're interested. Unfortunately, there are some that wait to see what our our season is and then they might you know put their name in the hat. But, but, we, but that's a little late for that. Sometimes it's a little late. Sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes they'll get what's left. So if somebody's listening to this and you've already announced your season and they're thinking, shoot, I missed it. It's not, it's not necessarily annoy you if they reach out at that Oh, point. absolutely not. And it's not going to annoy you if they reach out for 2021. Absolutely. Super early. Just right. because they're like, I'll forget if I wait till September. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we would, um, if someone was listening tonight, you know, I would say definitely get your application in because I know, I know for a fact that we don't have them all filled as, as of right now. We would definitely be interested in looking and, and, we, and the fact of the matter is we're always looking. And that online form prospective directors fill out for Hopebox, it's the same form for any way you might want to get involved. Yep, it can be anything from seamstress to concessions to ushering to uh, light operator to light design or sound design. I mean, it really is any, any way, a set um, design, set builder, it could be really anything. We're putting um, committees together for the board as well. So we'll have like... Um, you know, a volunteer committee, a marketing committee. So there's all different committees that you can get involved in. And we go off that list. Most of our production team, as far as our paid positions, but we do have volunteer positions as well. And we welcome any volunteers. Uh, of course, because we are a nonprofit, we, we love volunteers. And it's great when we have those that come out of the woodwork and, we're, and they end up being just wonderful assets to our team. So... Even though there's not an online form to direct for the Leishman Hall, Brian Hahn takes emails, and he's looking for at least one new director every year. I get emails uh, at least one a month from somebody that sends me their resume. And, you know, I just moved here from Montana, and I want to direct. Well, they're not likely to get an opportunity at our theater because we don't know. We don't know what they can do. We don't know how how well they work with other production staff. We don't know how well they work with actors. We don't take a chance on somebody that way. They have to have proven themselves that they can direct, that we know how they are, how they can do either at our theater or we know what they've done at other theaters. Um, and then they can you know, get their foot in the door and, and we'll give them a chance. We try to give at least one new director every year that hasn't directed in our theater before, uh, give at least one an opportunity. And this year we actually have, out of our four shows, two of them are by directors that have never directed a center point before. It, it's kind of fun to get somebody new in, but it's always fun to give uh, opportunities to, to new directors. Our director that for cash on delivery has done that. He he's wanted to direct in the black box for years. I just kept telling him he's building up a resume. He's directed in, in several other theaters. He's built up that resume. We've seen what he can do, but he's also been acting in, and so I can see what he can do as an actor. And so I have a lot more faith because I know how he, he knows how to act on and he assisted us as the assistant director on your good man, Charlie Brown. And so the director was kind enough to let him block some scenes and do some of those things. I was able to see how he worked with the other actors, how good he was, and he has a really good eye for detail of, to, of how to change a scene to make it better. And so when he, when he put in a proposal, he was towards the top of the list of getting the show because we knew him and we'd known him for, for long enough and knew what he was potentially, what he could potentially do for the show. 
so we had confidence in either one. So once the shows are selected, the licensing contracts signed, the season's announced, and the production team's hired, the season is ready. But how do these theaters assess if their selections were successful? We set a goal to sell a certain amount of tickets for each show, per night of show. So we set a goal, and for us, that's where we consider those successful uh, as far as financially. For artistically and for our purposes in the community, we believe that if we're bringing in uh, around 40 to 60%, somewhere in that range of people that have never been involved here, we believe that that is a success. The only kind of feedback we get, things that audience members say to the cast when they're leaving, they they'll a lot of times express their opinion. Sometimes that's a little, not the most accurate because they might just be, maybe be nice, you know, but um, a lot of times if, if, if they know a member of the cast or something, they might give a little bit more honest um, opinion of what they saw. Uh, a lot of times people will go to the box office after the show and, and if they really enjoyed it and tell somebody in the, some of the box office staff what they thought of it. A lot of our board of directors will get feedback from their neighbors and friends that have seen shows and then they'll pass that feedback on to us. That kind of feedback is always the positive stuff. We don't generally hear the negative comment stuff. For some reason, people tend to I don't know if they're just trying to be nice or what, but they don't tend to say, I didn't like it because of this. Just like with any theater, you have things that maybe not go as well as you would like, but you learn. That's how you learn. That's how you grow. Um, learn from your mistakes and don't make that mistake again. And then learn from the next mistake and don't make that mistake. I mean, it's, that's, that's the way live theater is, right? It's, it's basically, it's a, it's a ongoing process. And while those evaluations are being made, a new round of planning and considerations for future seasons has already begun. We send out a survey after every show with our actors uh, and our directors. So anybody involved in a show like Aida, they'll get a survey at the end of the show with sort of, how did it go for you? We like to know the feedback of that. But one of the questions we also ask is, what show would you come back to do again? Because we think that it's interesting to know what is your dream role? What is the things that the people around us want to do? Because it's different for everybody. My dream role is different than yours. I'm positive of that. <laughs> well, it might not be. I don't know. <laughs> Odds are good. Right. <laughs> but, you know, so we, we try really hard to listen. We try really hard to to hear the people around us and adapt to what they're saying, because it's not just about us. It's about everybody involved here. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this discussion of the reasons behind the creation of three Davis County Black Box Theater seasons. To support In the Telling, please like, subscribe, leave a rating, or share. Thank you to my guest, Jan Williams of Hope Box Theater. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a joy. Oh, my pleasure. Brandon Stoffer of On Pitch Performing Arts. Thank you so much, Brandon, for letting me interview you today. Yeah. And Brian Hahn of Centerpoint Legacy Theater's Leishman Hall. It's been fun. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Theme music by Gordy Vedas. In the Telling is hosted and produced by me. Liz Christensen. Thanks for listening. Music helps you read between the lines. I love the arts here in Utah. I think that out of anywhere I've ever been in my life and, and lived or worked, there's not a better place for the arts than Utah. The culture here really supports the arts and believes that the arts are important and that fits with me and I believe those things. So I wanted to be here in Utah and I wanted to open a theater here in a place that valued the same things that I do.